Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast, where we discuss faith, mission, the church, and the intersection of all three. Today on The Interview, we have the honor to host Joe Saxton from Minneapolis. Joe is an author, speaker, podcast host, and leadership coach. She has dedicated her career to growing leadership teams around the world and empowering women to find their purpose in their personal lives and in leadership. She is the co-host of the podcast, Lead Stories. Check her out at josaxton.com and make sure to get her most recent book, Ready to Rise. Thanks for listening, and we're glad you're joining us at the interview. wrote it in response um, to meeting a number of women as I was teaching or speaking or women who'd contact Steph and I when we did the podcast and stuff like that. Um, I, uh, there are three main things. One about owning your voice. What does it look like to own the way God has wired you rather than to fit into a societal mold um, or a cultural mold? What did God set you aside for? And so owning your voice was, was, one, was one part of what it means to be ready to rise. The other is gathering community because it's always taken a village to raise a leader. And then the last one is about stepping into your influence. I have met so many women um, who have hidden their gifts and called it humility because they're afraid of being too much. or afraid, and, and frankly, they're afraid because they've been told or afraid of being not enough. And so they have stepped away from their God-given influence. And I would say for all of us, male and female, every ethnicity, every generation, every socioeconomic group, we need to get ready to rise. Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. I'm Brenna coming to you from Albany, Oregon. And as always, we're joined by our friend, Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee. How are you today, Alan? I'm doing great, man. It's good to see you guys. And also, we've got Terry from Austin, Texas. Terry, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, and today we have the pleasure of inviting one of my favorite people to our interview today. Uh, the one, the only, Joe Saxton is joining us from Minneapolis. How are you today, Joe? I'm good, thanks. I'm real good. Real good. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. What has... Uh, pandemic life looked like for you? Are you coming out of the fog uh, of the pandemic? Um, I do not know. I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's a very good question. I, I, I think that fog is going to last a while, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that fog is... I, is it fog or is it just a cloud? Are we so used to seeing it? It's hard to tell. Mm, that's good. But yeah, still here. Well, like I said, it's it's an absolute pleasure to have you on today for myself personally and, and for us as a Forge tribe. Um, but for me, you have been um, a voice that I could look to for a, another woman leading in the missional movement. And that's has meant a lot for me. And as I've looked back over the years at, at materials and things, oftentimes you have been uh, the sole female voice in a lot of arenas uh, or potentially the sole uh, person of color uh, voice in certain arenas in different times and, and places. Um, and, and you have led faithfully over the years in, in those arenas. Uh, can you tell us what that experience has been like for you to be leading out in areas that, that other women um, haven't been able to before? It was very hard. Uh, just uh, it's funny I think you're probably the first person who uh, in, in, in the context of the missional movement who asked what it was like it was really hard and it was really lonely 
Um, and I didn't expect it to be like that. I didn't expect it to be that way. Um, yeah, I didn't expect it. And it was very disappointing. <laughs> it was very disappointing. I mean, since we're here and since I'm not interested in lying, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just like, it was rough. It was rough because who wants to be the only one? And and it's, I think it felt very unmissional. I think that's the thing about it. it there was a part of it which low-key offended me, to be honest, in the sense of the mission to engage the world all looked the same. Do you know what I mean? It looked like white guys and they were great white guys, but it looked like the same white guy. They almost had the same tattoos. They listened to the same songs, had the same heroes, had the same music. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what now? Do you know what I mean? I, I, so it was yeah. it was challenging. It, they'd read the same people and yeah. and the and the people they read were great. But it it's how does um how does Chimamanda um Adichie the author, Nigerian author says, she talked about in a TED talk about the danger of a single story, saying it's not inaccurate, it's incomplete. And I I think at the time, yeah, it was it was just real it was hard. So so I'm gonna air a little dirty laundry on Forge. Uh, about five <laughs> or six years ago, we were getting together as a national team and one of our leaders in our in our tribe had put out, hey, here are the 40 missional authors you should be reading. And someone of color in our in the in the in the greater kind of Christianity tribe was like called called us out and was like, hey, look, white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy. Oh, there's a white female, white guy, white guy, white guy. And man, we took it to heart. Oh, we we were like, we were broken. We were like, you're right. Cause it's exactly what you said. Everything was like, yo, man, yeah. And we really need to sit down. And and it was uh, several years ago. I mean, we repented of it and we're like, hey, we need to broaden the scope here. How do we do that? How do we make this a bigger conversation? Um, and it, it is. It, it, so having voices like yours are so needed. It's so, it's, it is so wanted. So thank you for enduring all the loneliness. <laughs> thank you for this. And and we're here to learn. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that we want to do is we want to be able to learn and get past this single narrative. It's good. So actually, uh, Terry was telling me that the first Forge book that was uh, published with the Forge logo, uh, the author was none other than Joe Saxton. And it was more than enchanting, was actually the first book that we published uh, in relationship with uh, with Forge America. Uh, Terry, you want to tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, we, we years ago, we, we kind of struck a deal with IVP and basically they wanted to create a line of missional incarnational books and uh the very first one that got got that stamp in that forge book line through ivp uh was more than enchanting by jeff saxton yeah so if you if if you if you're listening and you have that book and you should have that book on your bookshelf flip it over to the back and you'll see a teeny tiny little uh forge logo on there so joe you've been championing women's leadership and voices for a long time along this this lonely journey that you've been on that this has been years and years and and recently you launched a new book ready to rise uh, and you launched the Joe Saxton leadership coaching community uh, which is a faith-based professional and personal development coaching community for women um, tell us about these these new things that you've got going um they both stemmed from the same thing really um in I think the best way is to describe it as a story. Year, over the years, going to a number of events, some of the missional events included, um, and others, 
And a similar thing would happen that I, like, as you mentioned, I'd speak at an event and I'd often be the only woman there, often been the only um, black person on stage there. And I'd meet in the restrooms <laughs> in the breaks, I'd meet women and they'd have various questions about leadership and how you got to doing what you're doing, about how you juggled leadership and family and all, just all the questions, all the questions. And sometimes um, people would be pretty emotional and choked up about things. And sometimes they'd be really frustrated about their contexts. And you'd have, I'd have these conversations and I, and it was, I, I mean, I can't remember how many times I had them. Do you know what I mean? It's a kind of an amalgam of, a, of, of loads of conversations now over, over a period of years. And I think I just concluded that women's callings are worth more than five minutes in the toilet. Um, so good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's it's like this is ridiculous. Yeah. They are image bearers. So they are gifted. They are called, and their on ramps for their leadership development aren't always that accessible. Um, even when even in the sometimes they're not encouraged. Sometimes they're encouraged, but they might as well not be because they're not accessible. And so, um, both both of those things both the coaching community and um, Ready to Rise came out of how to respond. How do you put something in somebody's hands um, when, and, and how do you make the access points close enough for these women who feel called to all kinds of spaces, um, whether their ministry is described by in the context of church or whether it's in the context of their community, a corporate job, whatever. Their mission is, do you know what I mean? Wherever they've articulated before God that that mission field is, and responding to what he's doing there, how do we invest and equip them so that they can thrive in their leadership and so, and and also not feel so alone, you know? Um, and because loneliness is is more than just a, it's not even sad feelings. I didn't feel sad. I was lonely. Do you know what I mean? And and the consequence of that is the second guessing and the defaults and the not being quite sure what's what's normal or even when you're being exploited all all that all those kind of things and seeing echoes of that all over the place of women all around the country and and around the world who were feeling like and I'm called I know I want to serve God in some way I know that this career this path I'm on is a journey that he's got me on I just want I just want to be faithful <laughs> with that call and I would like some investment and some encouragement some challenge maybe just anything just anything would be good and so with ready to rise in particular a lot of it revolved around conversation I had with women who I've coached over the years and the coaching community was just a way of creating a space there are women from four different continents on it who are all leaders and get to not be the only one well, I'll say everything you said was so true for me. Um, it was uh, right before you launched the coaching community, um, maybe a week or two before, I just really started praying like, I think I need a mentor. I think I need a mentor. My fellow teammates here for Forge America are so fantastic about encouraging me as a, a woman leader, um, but I didn't have somebody that had been there in, in, in the way that you had. Uh, and so I had been praying about that. And then literally the next week, uh, you launched on social media, like, hey, there's going to be this uh, leadership coaching community. I was like, well, answered prayer. Uh, and so I jumped in and it was 
exactly what I needed in that moment to strengthen my voice and be confident in my voice, to hear other women processing that loneliness, to hear other women processing the barriers and the challenges that they come up. And I, I have to say, Joe, the thing that you embody so well, and that was really a game changer for me, because you've led uh, alone for so long, you've had all those experiences. So when women bring these things, uh, you know, you would be able to hold space for what they're experiencing and acknowledge it, but also to put really practical tools in our hand of how to deal with it and how to move forward in a healthy, good, productive way. Like uh, the, that combination was just an absolute breath of fresh air. Oh, so if thank there's, you if, so much. If, yeah, absolutely. If there's any uh, woman out there that's like, man, I need that. I can't, I can't recommend the coaching community um, more. Um, and you can check that out at joesaxon.com. It's, it's really been a game changer for me. So on the other side of that, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Terry and I are both white guys. And so if you had to say something to, you know, the predominant, you know, male leadership out there on how we can empower the women in our communities and empower um, other voices, the people of color in our communities, how would you, what would you say to, 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 the, to the structures that are out there, the power structure out there, the, the men that are out there, what, what would you say, hey, here's some things that you can be doing? Oh, um, I mean, lots of things, <laughs> lots of things. I would first encourage, I, I think it's funny, the word empowerment is a fun one, isn't it? Because it's one of those which means so much and it's become so ambiguous. And it's, um, it, you know, I've, you've seen, I've seen it tagged on everything to issues of politics, to social work and marginalized communities through the lipstick, through the lipstick. And, um, uh, but I'm struck by the fact that it means to give power and authority to somebody. And so I think there are a number of, I think I wanna encourage those in power to ask themselves, when you're empowering someone, what does that practically look like? Because if you're wanting to empower women, um, or if you're wanting to power people who aren't normally in power, it will mean sacrifice on your part. It, there's just no other way, <laughs> no other way to describe it. There, it will be divesting of some of the power you have and not, and also they are different from you. So therefore, how they will, what they will do will change your status quo. If you're uncomfortable with changing your status quo, then it is probably for the best that you don't do it. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I'm, and I'm not even saying that to be weird. I'm just saying change means change. And that's not just change for someone, it's change in you. And um, and it's hard to it's hard to know the assumptions we bring. Do you know, it's hard to know the assumptions we bring. So I think the first thing we, we lead with is listening and and asking yourself, have you created places which are psychologically safe enough for someone to tell you their lived experience in your community without fearing retribution, ec economically, relationally, job-wise? Because people would say, oh, tell me. I'm like, you don't want to know. Do you know what I mean? It's that like, you can't handle the truth type vibe. And and don't assume that because those people are a part of your com community and haven't said anything that they're okay, that it really has nothing to do with okay. It's just too much drama if, if it's not okay. So I think some of it is the lead by listening and it may mean you invite someone to listen. And 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 I would say I'd encourage you to, you know, when you're talking to another uh, a woman or a person of color, go beyond your family. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go beyond your immediate, your, your immediate and extended family. I'm not saying don't listen to them, include that as the listening, but again, we're going for the, as full a story as, as possible. And some things may be hard to hear. 
because you might feel a sense of, oh, these are all the things I didn't do. These are all the things I got wrong. These are all the things that I thought were okay. These were the mistakes I made. And but you, but in that moment, you have to hear it. You have to hear it if you're wanting to change things because intent and impact aren't the same thing. Um, just because you didn't intend to hurt someone didn't mean someone didn't get hurt. Just because you didn't intend to marginalize didn't mean they haven't been standing on the outside in the rain for the past five years. And when they come in from the rain wet, they might be a little annoyed. Do you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, it, and but if you're going to need to tone police it, you won't hear all the things that you need to hear. And if you, so can that woman be angry in your presence when she shares her, can that black man, that Asian woman, that Latino man or woman, can they, indigenous man or woman, immigrant, can they say how it's been and you hear and then hear again <laughs> and then hear again, because that's data for you. And I think sometimes I've been in contact where people have thought that's accusation. I'm like, no, it's data. This is actually the data that helps you know what the limits of, of the things you hoped you were doing that didn't realize. Um, and, and because you asked, <laughs> because you, because if we were walking down a direction that was going to get us lost, how far lost do you want to be before you find out you're in the wrong direction kind of thing? And so it's, so some of that, there's that posture. So that's one, that's, I mean, that's just the starting point. We lead by listening because we don't know what we don't know. And that's okay. And, and it's, that's a really wonderful, positive, healthy starting point. You don't know what you don't know. And so to invite other voices and to, and to, and to keep on inviting and, uh, and but I would, in, I would also ask you in that to be beware that it, to be mindful of the fact that it, it may be costly for them to share. So how will you honor the cost? Because the thing with hitting glass ceilings is the glass still falls on you. Yeah, you see a new day, but the glass still cuts you. And, and I think particularly when there are kind of waves of things that are happening in society and people are like, oh my gosh, it's terrible, I want to learn. That person might be still traumatized by that thing happening in society as well. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So, so I know that this is hard, hard to do, but it's hard to experience as well. So it's all hard. <laughs> it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be, we're just gonna go with the fact that it's hard and we'll just do the reps until we're stronger, but we've got to do the reps until we're stronger. So that's listening as a starting point. I would also then ask you, what does your, what are the on-ramps to leadership development like in your context? And are they accessible to, if they keep on producing exactly the same kind of person, why is that? It might be a tweak in terms of the time of day, it might be a socioeconomic thing we hadn't thought of. It might be an accessibility thing physically in a room that we hadn't thought of. It's just that we're doing that when we're wanting to say, how can we do something differently? We have to start doing an audit on all the things that may have even worked wonderfully before, may have been something that had worked wonderfully for you before, may have worked wonderfully for that one random black woman who kept on speaking at all the events before, but actually didn't change a culture. So I, I would think of the on-ramps and then I don't, I mean, I think with all of these things, and we know this as leaders, somehow, some way, with all our plans and our big Christian hearts, accountability matters. What are your, what are the metrics of progress? And are you making them? And then if not, you go back to the beginning and listen all over again. I mean, those are just a few initial thoughts. But um, I think I, I think the voices in your community can even are always speaking. They're speaking by their absence as well as by their presence. Uh, there are a handful of things in the world that I just absolutely adore. And one of them 
is my 15-year-old daughter's leadership. Uh, I, I became a feminist. I tell people all the time, I became a feminist the moment I found out my wife was going to give birth to a daughter. And, and we kind of knew we probably were going to be one and done because we were going to do some foster care and things like that. And so I knew I was going to have a girl who was going to carry my name, which I, I like my name. And uh, even to the point where we joke that my daughter knows whoever her husband will be, they'll have to carry her name. And so she's like all on board with it. And so and so I, I love watching my daughter lead. It's it's one of my greatest joys. And so she's a sophomore in high school. She's the captain of the drum line. So she's leading so juniors and sophomore, uh, juniors and seniors. And the thing that just irritates me more than anything is when I see her giving responsibility, but she's not given authority. And so I know in your book, you talk about the difference between authority, because that, that would be the easy old white man thing to do. It's like, well, we'll just give you some responsibility, person of color, or here's a woman, give her some responsibility. But where's the authority? Because my daughter can sit there and say, hey, you need to make sure this, this, and this is done so we're ready to go. But she has no authority to actually put it on them to do it. So can you speak a little bit to that and unpack that for us and how you talk about that in Ready to Rise? I mean, that's, I, I think it's huge. I think that is one of the, and I, I, I spoke about it in Ready to Rise and probably most months in the coaching because it comes up so much for, for women leaders. And the idea of, and it's, a, and it's a, two, a two way thing. So I'd find women leaders who would take on more and more responsibilities yeah. in the hope that it would indicate that they were ready and that they were faithful and everything. And people would be like, oh, cool. She just does a lot. <laughs> She's got a big capacity kind of thing. She's a high capacity leader and, and wouldn't receive any help in any other way. I think if, you, if you're going to give somebody responsibility and authority, they get to authority get, gets to determine things, determines direction, determines whether resources are um, invested into that space, determines consequences if something goes wrong. And that's where it gets uncomfortable for people. So can, if she's got loads of, if the, I'm going to, I'll give, I'll stick with the example of a woman. If she's been given lots of opportunities to do stuff um, and lots of responsibilities, but she can't say no to that particular thing, even if you'd like to, even if it would be easier for you, but she, she sees that team member and she's like, this, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work. It's just not a good fit. I'm not saying they're a terrible person. It's not a good fit. They don't respect my leadership. They they keep on triangulating and all that kind of stuff. Do you want her to talk so they, they're better understood? Or does she get to determine that? Responsibility, authority. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those moments. If someone, um, if something goes wrong and, they're a and she's like, these are the consequences of that. Can she make a budget decision? Is she free to do that? Um, because that will show you really, it's not the responsibility stuff that determines whether people really believe in women in leadership or BIPOC, um, the BIPOC community in leadership. It's the authority. It's the authority. And people don't really want to always share authority because that's where the power lies. It doesn't always, it do, we sometimes act like the power lies in, in responsibilities. The power lies in authority. Joe, as you are coaching these women, it, it sounds like the authority can, continues to come up and you're saying that you're addressing that in the, the coaching community. Um, what barriers do you find that women are coming up against over and over again that are just the, the top frustrations, the top things that hold women voices back? What do you hear over and over? Um, misogyny <laughs> is one. Uh, I mean, real talk. Um, 
I think I think there are certain there are certain practices that people haven't processed all the way through. So in the context of church leadership, there's a common refrain because people want to keep good boundaries. Uh, there is a a rule of one form or another, which means that that woman is not allowed to be on a on her own in a room or a space with that male leader. And she said so. And I. I I mean, again, common refrain from many women leaders. So therefore, the things that are caught, not taught, I never get access to. The conversations which happen on the way to golf or whatever the, or, do you know what I mean? Whether it's the church community that plays golf, the church community that does whiskey and cigars, the church, whichever, whatever the thing is, and that, I, <laughs> they don't have access to. And so when you're looking for those leaders who are really up for the next vision or really want to take this thing, you don't see them automatically because they weren't there. And the reason why they weren't there is because we were all maintaining really good boundaries when actually the, the, they weren't into you. That was never the, the issue. But now the, the other thing they're not going to do is lead any further because they've not been invested in. Because And then people will look and say, well, they're not ready. And you're like, well, they're not ready. And why is that? Is it because they're not willing? They're not interested? They're not up for it? Or is it because the, that there was an unexpected detour that these women had to take that, and I'm not saying don't have boundaries, but if that, if, if that's something someone's really going to stick to, what are you doing with your leadership pipeline in the light of that? That's the question. We could go back and forth on whether you should or shouldn't do it. I'm, 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 you know, people will, or they won't. It's fine. I don't, and I'm not going to tell someone to not have accountable processes if that's part of what they're doing. But what you're also accountable for is that leader. (laughs) And if we can be imaginative and creative and prophetic enough to work out these visions where we're planting churches and pioneering new structures and looking for all these new things in a new day, you can work out how to train your women leaders. I'm sorry. I used to be like, oh, let's no, you can. You're imaginative, innovative, pioneering leaders. Work it out. Work it out. And hear me when I say this. I'm not these are I'm not talking about rights here. We all lost our rights when we when we 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 put those at the foot of the cross. What I'm talking about here is being faithful to what has been entrusted to you. What I'm talking about here is kingdom initiatives. What I'm talking about here is, is churches in decline. And, and for us to ask ourselves, what is not happening? What churches aren't being planted? What businesses, what initiatives are not being started? Because we have not invested in half of the people in the room. That's why it's an issue. That's why that's why we we have a problem here, because we are missing out on investing in people who are able, who are who are talented, who have character, who are willing. And whenever that happens, whoever that happens with male, female, whatever ethnicity, whatever socioeconomic group, we have a problem. Let, let me let me just take a, a slight sidestep here, because I, I think people listening, um, th- th- this may be rattling in the brain for some of them. Uh, we try to be a very inclusive uh, network, uh, Forge America. And so, but we are predominantly, yeah. um, we're for women's leadership. I mean, we we don't, we don't, we don't pull punches. We, we champion women in ministry and leadership top to bottom. And so, but we hear people will use the theological hang up of, of that. And there may be some who are listening and they're, they're thinking, well, what about the theological implications of, of all of that? You know, however you want to, whatever you want, the word you want to use to call that, uh, I might refer to it as garbage, but whatever. Can you, can you speak to someone listening who, who may have some theological hangup? How do they get beyond that? Because 
because because you, you nailed it because that's been that's been my biggest my early or 20 years ago I remember that was a conversation could a woman ever be a a lead pastor and 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 I remember throwing out the idea I was like well what about if yeah. no men so step up to the plate are you going to say it's better for no one to step up than for a woman to step up? And they could never answer the question. So can you speak to that theological hang up? I think there are two things I would say. One is, is because I'm aware men and women see this, or there's a range of views that men and women, and, I, and I'm not, I mean, it's your call. But again, are you invest, if, if you believe that woman is called to invest in women, well, there are still millions of women who are image bearers, who are business leaders. Have you trained that woman adequately? And somehow the implication of because those women are only are only called to other women that you're not investing in training in them yeah. is equally insulting. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? On one level, it's like, so, okay, fine. So that's the context. Do they need any less theological um, rigor? Do they need any less leadership development? Do they need any less investment? Because, oh, it's just women and kids. I mean, what it, do we need? There's nothing, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of women. Is it any less missional because they're women? Are there any less kingdom opportunities? Are there any less people to save, heal and deliver? I don't think so. So we're back oh, where yeah. we started, folks, investing. <laughs> do, do you see what I'm saying? Even, even, if the, even if that's your theological frame, game on, bro. Game on, sis. If that's your theological frame, go for it. But go for it then. Actually do, do the thing. Don't don't not do the thing because oh we don't believe nah if they're if they're called to disciple have you adequately trained them so that they are catalysts in the culture are they missional catalysts in the culture if you if you say well that no matter how conservative you get on this are they making disciple are they invested in or are they getting discipleship light theology light church light missional leadership light because if they're getting a lighter version something is still doesn't make sense so that's a one part the other part i would say is can uh, it, and this isn't me this was scott mcknight used to talk about this he, he would say rather than talking about women in ministry he talk about women ministering and he said you know look at the women in the bible can they do what they do in you <laughs> can deborah do what she did in your church today can holder do can can miriam do and what i'm struck by in this moment is how little airtime the women in the Bible actually get. Do you know what I mean? Like roll Mary out for Christmas and you ro and roll somebody out on Mother's Day. And maybe if you're, if you like Advent, maybe you'll have Rahab there in the early days to say Jesus came from interesting background. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? We do the interesting background bit. We do the Elizabeth bit. We do Anna. We do Mary. And then, oh, it's New Year. We need a vision. Let's use a guy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and so I would say for all of us, are we airing the stories of, because we, we, I sometimes wonder whether we know our spiritual heritage. I, I used to do these, I still do these posts on Instagram about women in the Bible. And I did these lists and I literally had people in, in my DM saying, I didn't know these people existed. I've never heard of these women. I've never heard of Hulder. I've never heard, no one told me what about Lydia or Phoebe. No one, no one mentioned them. I, and I'm not even talking obscure things here. It's just no one mentioned what that, no one mentioned that they didn't come up. And then it's no wonder then that it, if you if we're surprised then that people don't have a theological imagination for women, well, if your stories aren't ever told, if they are the hidden figures of the Bible again and again, um, that has consequences. And, and it's no wonder that their stories are seen as women's stories. Deborah is not a woman's story. Deborah is a story, period. 
Halda, all of these, all of them, Mary, all of them. The Magnificat is not a woman's piece. It's a hugely prophetic, profoundly theological piece, as it were. But I think when we siloed, <laughs> I, I think we're all weaker for it. I can't imagine not learning about David and Daniel and Joseph. I can't imagine. I might, my understanding of God would be lacking. But but if we're not hearing these stories, and we might say there's not much there, well, just start with a little bit you got then. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's all good. It's all good, bro. I, I get it. It's all good, friends. And but and I say that to all of us. You know, I mean, men and women, reclaim your spiritual heritage. The Lord put it there for a reason. Get get what's yours. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Get receive what God. Let's receive what God has for us in Hulda's story, and Deborah's story, and Priscilla and Phoebe, Philip's pr prophetic daughters, Nehemiah's the women in Nehemiah building the walls, Shira building cities, and all. Let's get all of those stories, um, because it might seed some things and some vision and dreams in our hearts. For that alone, not again, just because it's in the Bible. Let's let's know those stories. It's so good. I haven't wanted to interrupt because I'm just over here saying, amen, amen, amen. Uh, just such a, a word that, and, and my heart just sings at everything that you're saying. Yeah, I was remembering a story. My uh, good friend uh, in the organization that she's a part, that it's uh, male-dominated leadership, and there were some equipping uh cohorts that they were doing and it was only for the men and so she had gone to the organization to say where is this for the women she was asking for development and for leadership um, and the answer was well the husbands the idea is that the husbands come home and bring um, the teaching to their wives and she very very smartly said well by that logic then my husband should be able to cut hair because uh, so then I should he should learn what I'm learning. So would you like <laughs> oh him gosh. to do your haircut? Uh, and I just she's just uh, brilliant. And I it, it just highlights the uh, there's so many women that are desiring to step into those roles, to be equipped, to be uh, empowered. Um, and, and maybe they're a little shaky, but it is so, so needed. We've been asking all of the uh, people on the podcast this season, how have you personally seen your leadership change over the years mm. in the missional movement? Ooh. Oh, that's a question. I felt like when I first came to faith um, and in my younger years, in my 20s, when, we were in, when I was in the UK and we were planting congregations and all of these kinds of things, um, missional was inevitable because of the size of church. I mean, there are three people. <laughs> you know what I mean? A missional was inevitable. So, um, cause the church was smaller and all of that kind of stuff. And you were immersed. It wasn't like, do you have any friends who aren't people of faith? It's like, if you don't, you don't have any friends. Do you know what I mean? There's a whole other situation happening in your life. Um, because you're always interacting and, and all of that. I think what felt stranger coming to the States was then learning a and being in living in spaces where there was a Christian subculture. And it felt in some ways like the emphasis shifted to explaining to a Christian subculture what it meant, like what it was to be on mission and um, and what it was to operate. And I kept on just fight bumping into Christians all, <laughs> all the time, <laughs> all, the, all the time. I think 
And and I think to come back to what we began with in terms of you often seeing when the, us first encountering each other would be when I was the only one. I think it took a long time for me to not feel I had to assimilate into a norm. I mean, I'm never going to be a white guy. Obviously, it's very clear what I am and who I am. But what is is this missional? Is how this ex uh, and if it's expressed like that for you, but is different for me? Is it any? Do you have? Do you and. And when I say you, I don't mean any particular person. I mean the context, the culture. Does that define what missional is? And if I say something else on that, because I'm like, I have questions. And throughout that era, I had questions on the mission. I'm like, if the missional movement has nothing to say on race, I don't know how missional you really are. If you don't have anything to say on gender, I don't know what your missional means. I don't, I honestly. And that's not to say there aren't wonderful things to learn. But again, it was a mission. <laughs> It was, it was defined by what wasn't in the room, not what was in the room. And so I think there came a point probably where I just felt pretty disillusioned, if I'm honest. And um, since we're here now <laughs> and you asked, I think there was a point where I, and I thought, well, I kind of went back to went back to my roots in a way and thought, what does it look like to serve my community? What does it look like to be engaged in the in my community? And who are those people? And you can have conversations over there. I don't care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in talking about things and not actually um, engaging with, I don't know how you don't see, I don't know how you don't see the fault lines on race and gender right now, the fault lines on, on the environment right now. And if that's not important, because that doesn't, that's not deemed missional, or that, that then, then I don't know what to say, and and that's not, again I don't know that I ever heard that explicitly. It's more what I didn't hear. So I think my leadership changed in that I probably went and and I think as well with in particularly in the area of women. I thought well unless we do something, we will have generations of women ill-equipped for a call and living in the frustration and the tension of wanting to serve and imagine and create and having no tools to do so or trying to work in systems and structures that were not built for them that were, that they're never going to thrive in and give their calling to trying to explain to people why they have a right to be in the room when actually do you know what I mean it's like like um that's not that's not the point the point is the kingdom of god not the let's have a chat about why it's okay for me to be a woman and talk to you right now i mean i'm like dude if you know, if if it's if it doesn't float your boat, that's fine. I've got stuff to do, and so I think in the end, I I think my leadership changed by over the years to to. It, I had to keep on coming. I mean, I, I'm not trying to be twee when I say this. I had to keep on coming back to Jesus and saying, "What's your mission?" I want my ongoing prayer is that is John five nineteen. I want to do what I see the Father doing, and what's the Father doing? And I'm just going to stay there and. And I'll stay there for as long as, and and actually then it wasn't a commentary on anybody else. It's a commentary on what the father's doing. And then, I mean, there were conversations that had to be had for sure. I think that ongoing conversations to be had, I'm sure. But I, in the end, it was like, father, what are you doing? And I, and when I, when I became a Christian, that was, that was, that was my discipleship. That was my learning. That was my understanding of what it meant to follow the Lord. When in my young adult years, that was what it was. And so I think some of it has been a return um, an increasing return because then you ask the same question and you find yourself in different spaces because it's just what the father's doing. Yeah, you in our in our in the Forge tribe, we often we use the we use the the terminology re Jesus. 
you know, Al, Al and Mike wrote a book years ago, Read Jesus. Mm. And it, it's, yeah. it is coming back because in the American context, and again, this is, I'm, I'm steeped in the American context because I'm, I'm American. I'm from Texas, so it's even worse, right? And so, but we, we, it's so easy for us to take an idea. And then what we tend to do is extrapolate on the idea, right? And so it's easy to pick on, you know, Calvinists because, like John Calvin wouldn't even be a Calvinist in today's terms because you take an idea and you will we'll then go to this degree and this degree and this degree. And we so we exponentially extrapolate these ideas. And, and we see this happening in the missional movement where we just build on top of it and on top of it and top of it. And that's where we just remind people it's like you have to deconstruct and reconstruct. And thank you, because. You just did beautifully explaining how there are times where we have to deconstruct these ideas and go back. And, and it's the idea of getting back to Jesus, like looking at the life of Jesus and say, OK, looking at his life and, and what does mission mean in the light of that? And and like we just had Frosty, we just had Mike Frost on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. And that was the one of the things that he's he's really kind of hitting that and he really even kind of prophetically spoke over forge in kind of our next season of ministries is we have to take serious the issue of justice in light of the mission of God because we talk about beauty we talk about wholeness uh we talk about reconciliation and it's so easy for us to ignore the justice piece because justice is equally Absolutely. important as those other items when we look at the kingdom of God. If we're truly going to reveal the kingdom of God, yeah. we have to do business with justice. And, and I think we avoid it because it's messy. And and, and we want to almost yeah. stand on the sideline and like, well, we're going to let the world figure this out and then we'll just preach a really happy sermon on Sunday and hopefully we can duck it. And I think we're getting into the age where you can't duck it anymore. I mean, people are coming no, in and they're You're like, right. give me your yeah. answer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think it's really good that you said that because it's a luxury when you're ducking it. I don't get to duck it. There's a re and we all know why. I don't get to duck, my kids, my kids in their schools do not get to duck it. So no leader, you don't get to duck it because you've got good news to bring. Because And that's the weirdest thing about it. The, we duck it for self-protection and we duck it because we don't want to say the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff. But you've actually got good news. That's the, that, you know what I mean? You've actually got good news. And we do believe the gospel's transformative. And so uh, when we take, when we have that luxury, when we, I think we just have to be mindful of the luxuries we take and ask ourselves why. And and we sometimes call it peace, <laughs> and it and it's an and and it's a truce. It's it's a truce with convenience or a truce with maybe your funding or whatever. And I get that, but but while that's happening, whilst you're not engaging, please not please don't assume that nothing is happening. You may have been at a standstill, but the rest of us aren't. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? There, in everyday life, it's still happening. Do you know what I mean? And um, it would be good for you to embody the, the good news while these things are happening. What a absolute tragedy that the world would be leading out in this before the church. I, I, the, the fact that as followers of Jesus, that this isn't our impulse and our first, our first thought is, is just such an area of, of repentance for us as, as the followers of Jesus. Uh, so, Joe, as you have been uh, leading in uh, the coaching community and, and coaching women, where uh, 
are you seeing uh, excitement? Where are you seeing um, women uh, step into leadership? And, and what are you excited about for this next season of life? Um, it's funny. Excitement's a funny word in the middle of this pandemonium. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, but I think, I, I, because I think people are still exhausted and I think leaders are still exhausted. And, you know, there's been a lot of data out there in the world about, um, about the, this uh, pandemic era disproportionately impacting women and in that disproportionately impacting women of color. Um, so I think, but what I am seeing is because we know we're here, <laughs> because we know we, I am seeing a growing resolve and a, if this is what the landscape looks like now and we, what, how do we find our way in it? And, and I think, you know, when we look back in moments of history, times of great pressure are often the birthplace and the, well, they're often broken places, but they often become the birthplace for these new creative ideas. And I, what I'm seeing and what I'm excited about seeing is people beginning to have the capacity to dream again, because it's so important that as we look to rebuild, that we don't just be like, okay, let's rebuild to what we used to be, that we rebuild nostalgically but rather than prophetically in this moment. And I think that's the invitation. I think God's, God's invitation is like, I, I stand looking at things and thinking, Lord, it's not the way it used to be. And I actually kind of miss some of the things that used to be because I understood them and I knew them. And will I despise the day of new beginnings or will I dare to dream? And the hard thing about the day of new beginnings is that they are saplings. They sound really exciting, but they don't look like oaks. They look fragile and feeble. But what I'm ex but, so, but I'm excited that people are beginning to dream and beginning to reimagine their communities and reimagine parts of society and asking new questions and and saying, okay, this is not what I planned and this is not the this is not how I thought it would be and this is not what I expected to be, but we're still here and because we're still here, God is not done. We can presume we can assume that we can assume we're, and also the kingdom of God needs that. Do you know what I mean? The kingdom of God. Well, not He doesn't need us. But um, people need to encounter the kingdom of God still. The grief and the, and the distress and the trauma that, you know, we, again, we have good news in that. And and he is good news to that. So it's exciting to to come alongside leaders who are like, okay, I'm exhausted and I've got to work on my rhythms of rest. And I, and, but I feel like there's a sapling of a, of a call still. And, and like there's a sapling of a dream still or the what if we looked at this now and how about we tried this now or let's pay attention. You know, it's been hard to face our own power and privilege, but let's pay attention. And, and as our lament dies down, let's see what we rebuild. Those things are those things, although they're it's we know they're it's sobering work and it's we, uh, it's long work and it's hard work, but it is the work. Do you know what I mean? This is the rebuilding ancient ruins and rebuilding places long devastated. And I'm excited to see that. And I'm excited to see the, see what it could mean for all of us, you know, to, um, to see what the father's doing now. Joe, uh, Ready to Rise is already out. So people can pick that book up. Uh, they can support Jeff Bezos' Pursuit to Space, uh, yeah. or they can go to your website uh, and get it. Do you have, like, what projects do you have on the horizon that that you've got kind of in the works or uh, anything that you're excited about? Yeah, I think the... I think the ongoing building of the coaching community and it just being this space for women leaders and some of them are business leaders, some of them are ministry leaders that accommodate, you know, they're all, I, I love seeing how they network with one another. I love seeing how they support one another. 
And I love seeing how they're a brain trust to one another. Do you know what I mean? I, I And I love, because it's digital, it's all online. People can either do it on demand or they do it live. And, and I, and again, it's access, it's an access point. And so, um, and that's just an open thing. So people can jump in on it anytime. I'm excited about that. And as we are able to gather, I've start, I, I've resurrected or that sounds really dramatic. Started again. <laughs> just like Joe, we don't need poetry here. I started, um, I, I used to do this thing called the ASA Collective, which was an intensive for about 70 women leaders. Again, same thing. They're Christian women. Some are pastors, some are in law enforcement, some are marketers, whatever, just to have that space where they can, again, connect. And it's And the weird thing is, I didn't, it's not like all my life I've worked exclusively with women, but in fact, I'd say it's probably the last five, six years. It's just, that feels the assignment right now. That just seems like I'm where I need to be. But what I, what I'm loving is again, just inviting this kind of myriad group of women from all these spaces, ethnicities, generations, be in the room, see each other, and then realize that God has things for each other. And then just go back to the spaces where they're called to. Just go back to being accountants, go back to, but go back to knowing that they're not alone and knowing, armed with the information they can give each other and, um, and the, the restoration that those times have brought. Oh, thank you so much, Joe. Thank you for, you know, it's funny when we started this podcast, gosh, was that three years ago? We're, we're, this is season four. So I remember we sat down and uh, we wrote our list of people who we wanted to be on the podcast. And my first two names... Joe Saxton and Danielle Strickland. And so we're oh, 50% cool. there. So if, if, if Danny, Danny, Yay. if you're listening, you want to join, Steve. then I'll just, re- I'll, I'll leave Steve, the podcast. I'll be here. done. Yep. I've got my two and I'm done. <laughs> so uh, I'm so just, I'm super, super thankful uh, that you joined us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for, I, I just love the fact that to be able to talk honestly and openly and for it to serve, I mean, you know, you four you guys have been doing stuff for a long time. And long may that continue in whatever iterations God has. So I'm always here for it. Always here for it. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, Joe, for taking the time to join us and to share all of your wisdom and experience uh, and for being uh, a, a woman that other women can look up to and to say, she's gone before me and, and how am I going to step into my influence? It's, it's made all the difference in the world for me and I know other women as well. Thanks, listeners, for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Forge America Missional Podcast. Forge America longs to see the reign of God revealed in the everyday spaces of life. To do this, we partner with local movements to mobilize the people of God to participate in the everyday mission of God. If you'd like to know more about Forge America, feel free to check us out at forgeamerica.com.